You're listening to Hacking Emotional Intelligence, a podcast from The Five Star Approach. Your host is the founder, Tyler Small. Hey guys, today we have the special honor to talk with Elizabeth Leiba, founder of Black History and Culture Academy and LinkedIn Top Voice. She's an award-winning woman. She teaches college courses. She is everywhere on the web. She is a distinguished speaker and she is an influencer. She's a real influencer and I'm so excited to have her on. She's also what I would call an emotional intelligence hacker. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you today. I have a, a list of questions today. I hope we can get through them, but I wanted to just thank you for for honoring us with your voice and your perspective. I found your posts on LinkedIn and your live LinkedIn, and I've dug through some of the courses that you have on your website, and it's all just so exciting and so mind-expanding. I have just as many blind spots, maybe more than, than anyone, and so being exposed to you has been just such a, a miracle in my life, and I wanted to thank you for that. Oh, you're very, very welcome. It's my pleasure. It's definitely something that is close to my heart, being an educator, so I'm happy that I've been able to touch you in that way. Wonderful. So the first question I have for you is, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, I get that question a lot just because of I have a, a probably a very different background than a lot of people. I'm not from the United States. I'm actually an immigrant I'm from the UK. I was born in London. My parents are Jamaican. And I've lived in South Florida since I was about 12. So I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood on the east side of Fort Lauderdale. My high school was 90% black. So a lot of culture shocks just coming from UK was really different. So just kind of navigating a lot of that is probably what framed my perspective because I was felt like an outsider. So I was always kind of observing everything around me and trying to find my culture fit. And a lot of that culture fit came from reading uh, the narrative that I gained from Maya Angelou and from a lot of amazing authors, women, uh, Alice Walker, Toni Morrison. So that's how I first really dug into the idea of reading and how I wanted to really become, actually ended up becoming an American literature professor because of just my love for books. That's really cool. So this is a very unique entry into life. And I saw a lot of posts from you during Black History Month, during February, and loved your posts. So eye-opening for me. What is the most important thing that people forget about Black History Month? I think the biggest takeaway for me that I have been talking about for Black History Month is that Black History cannot be studied in just one month, right? The mm-hmm. idea that Black History Month was conceptualized originally by Carter G. Woodson, so it started as Negro History Week in the early 1900s, around 1900, mm-hmm. and Carter G. Woodson wanted to memorialize Black History and make sure that the history of Black folk in America was not forgotten because of people that have no knowledge of their own history literally will be marginalized out of existence. So that's where Black History Month began mm-hmm. in uh, the early 1900s. And we celebrate Black History for a month, but there's really no national standard for black history. So I think the biggest takeaway that I try to 
impart to people is that black history needs to be a part of integrated as a part of curriculum and we know that that hasn't been done in K through twelve. It definitely isn't done in college because I teach college so I know that's something that typically isn't required unless it's like a minor or something that's a part of your major coursework. You literally won't ever take a black history course unless right. it's an elective. So right. it's really important that people understand that black history should be studied three hundred and sixty five days a year. That would be my biggest takeaway, I think, especially this year. Love it. And it's such a huge part of our nation both, I mean, in terms of always for sure, but especially there's so much going on and it seems like we can either just glom on to current events that are happening or can we can really study black history and try and gain an understanding for what what it is and what's behind it. Yeah, because the, the connection between history and today and the future is something that I'm always thinking about. Like, what's happening today didn't happen in a vacuum. So typically anything that's happening, even if you look, put on the news today and you look at events where there's student loan debt crisis, where there's COVID response, events that are happening all around the world, when you talk about globally, those things didn't just start today. Somewhere there's an origin. So the history of black folk in America also is the same thing when we think about marginalization of, of black folk or any other issues in terms of everything that's happened in our country over the past year where people have been really glued to their television sets or glued to um, social media looking at protests around the country like where did this all come from and it definitely didn't start in a vacuum it didn't start as of last year when George Floyd was murdered these events have historical context and it's important for us to understand those so we can move forward in a positive direction I love that from an emotional intelligence standpoint I think that in order to be emotionally intelligent in the workplace today and really anywhere you need to understand these types of issues and you need to have an exposure to them so that you can speak to them and react to them in appropriate ways. Absolutely, and I think a lot of emotional intelligence, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes, being able to have the proper responses, emotionally and culturally sensitive responses, there isn't a way to do that unless you're coming from a frame of reference or you have context in what you're responding to, right? So I think definitely having that ability to be empathetic, definitely having that ability to be sensitive and understand someone else's journey and be able to respond in kind, whether you're a leader, whether you're working on a team, having those appropriate um, foundations and scaffolding for how you interact with others is key to being able to be effective in today's workplace, especially as it becomes more and more diverse. And we'll see that over the next 20 years, that that's what's going to happen. Basically, the Census Bureau tells us that. So we have to be ready. Absolutely. I have this question that I want to set up in terms of a scenario. I want to give a scenario as we talk about this next question. And in order to kind of embed this and hopefully help it to be more actionable for individuals who are wondering like, hey, what's the big deal about with black history anyway? So for an individual who's white, and they are trying to work with someone who's black. I've heard you answer this question before, which is why I'm asking it at this time. But if, if they have this question in their mind and they say, well, why, why don't black people just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Like, what's the big deal here? What's the big problem? Like, why do I need to empathize with with somebody who looks a little different than me? And why don't they have an equal advantage to me? What's the big deal? Can you explain that a little more? Yeah, I, I think that it's important for people uh, in the, the majority culture and just everybody, even black folks, don't understand this. I think sometimes and it, it's really basically the narrative of history and, and how a lot of us are just not informed about law and about 
historically how black people have been marginalized in this country. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, including myself, I'm an immigrant, the, the, the frame of reference is, hey, you come here, and if you're from somewhere else, or if you're born here, equal access to education, equal access to opportunity, equal access to jobs, you just go and you work hard. And Martin Luther King said this very famously in a speech, it's, it's really unfair to ask a man to pull himself up by his bootstraps when he doesn't have boots. So literally what's happened to black folk in, in America is that black folk were emancipated from well, black folk were enslaved. I mean, it's just a reality of what happened. That was what happened historically. So mm-hmm. we're sent out to, into the country in 1865 and literally since that time have been trying to make up the wealth gap. And the wealth gap literally has is so big in this country now that it can never be overcome because you have black folk that never had the same access. And literally Civil Rights Act was passed 1955 in 1964. So you, we have 50 years, less than a lifetime for black people to even have access. And, and then even since that time have still been marginalized in a lot of ways, whether it's through housing discrimination with redlining, whether it's through schools that are, are typically and have always been in black neighborhoods underfunded. And I went to one myself and I can say with my own eyes, I saw that we didn't have books, we didn't have resources. And a lot of people say, well, how can that be? Well, that's because property taxes are what funds the schools, and if those schools in that neighborhood don't have the same property values, then the school's not gonna have the same access to resources because of funding. So there's a lot of things in terms of the mechanics of how the country works, access to healthcare, access to health insurance, access to, you name it, there really isn't anything that is equal in um, black communities and really communities of color, but particularly black neighborhoods are typically the most marginalized. So yeah, it's really unfair to say pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you don't have the same access. And I think a lot of people have this concept in their mind that everyone has equal access to everything. And it's just, if you work hard, then you can get it. And that's just simply not true. Your words are just so, so beautiful to me because they're explaining something that, I mean, I remember, so I grew up mostly in, uh, so I was born in Southern California where there was, it was a lot of diversity. But then when I was seven, we moved to Washington state, Southwest Washington state, and there wasn't a whole lot of diversity. And so I think some of these thought patterns were extremely pervasive in that culture. I mean, it's, it's practically everywhere. Right. But I remember thinking that, right. I, that was a thought that I grew up with. Oh, well, why can't they just, you know, go get a scholarship and just go to college. Right. What you said just now is so germane. Also, I remember if I can share briefly something from your LinkedIn live that was posted on the main page of your website. And if you're listening to this, go, go jump on there before something hops up on our website, check it out. It's really cool. One thing you said is from a literal sense in your perspective, you were living in Florida and somebody would say, well, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you'd look down at your feet and you're like, I'm in Florida. I wear sandals. I don't even have a pair of boots. I don't even know where to buy boots. And, and that just the literalness of that situation seems to extend that analogy and really show like, oh my goodness, that is really not an option in, in many of these cases, in so many of these cases. And so, um, you know, certainly there are exceptions. And I think, I think as well, one of the broken parts of my brain said, oh, well, look at President Obama. If he can do it, then anyone can do it. And what would you say? Yeah, there's always exceptions, right? There's always Oprah. There's always President Obama. There's Michael Jordan. There's always exceptions to the rule, but by and large, if you have a group of people, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be black people, it can be anybody. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the statistics, that group of people is always at the bottom of 
the the hierarchy in terms of well-being and if you look statistically across the board that they're always marginalized then something is wrong with the system like if I teach a class I, I'm a college professor so I always give this example I'm, I teach class and every time I teach a class majority of students fail I wouldn't have my job because they're not going to say it's the students fault they're going to say it's my fault what am I doing in that class that every time I offer that class majority of students fail because statistically speaking students should be successful they didn't come there to waste money Right. right, they're not wanting to fail. So if every single class I'm failing the majority of my students, I have to be self-reflective and say, well, what am I doing? What can I do better? As a country, we don't do that. We say, well, you didn't want it bad enough. Because statistically speaking, if everyone in your demographic is failing, that means maybe those people are just lazy. And I know on the college campus, we don't say that about students. We don't say, well, everyone in your class is just lazy. They will come to you as an instructor and say, hey, we got to get your outcomes up because every time you teach a class, your students are failing. What what's happening? Right. Yeah. So it's pretty much the same. It's like it's practical. Like if you are on your job and, and every time you're interacting with clients, all the clients are saying, hey, Tyler is rude. Tyler didn't give me the proper service. They're not going to say the clients are wrong. They're going to come to you right. and say, what are you doing? You're interacting with the clients every time we are getting a, a poor score as far as your customer service. Like, let's look at what's happening. They're not going to blame the client because obviously all the clients, are saying, not just one person, all the clients are saying the same thing about you then something's going on and we need to address that so that you can be better. And as a country, we don't ever look at the country and say the country needs to improve outcomes for this demographic. We always say, well, hey, that demographic doesn't want it bad enough, right? Absolutely right. And so I think another, I think it pushes us, going down that path pushes us to a decision that we either need to decide in our minds that, okay, there's something inherently wrong with this group of people and we believe in racism and we believe that certain races are above each other or the yeah. system is broken. Like it's it's pretty much either one or the other once you start opening up those cans. Yeah, I mean, like literally you hit the nail on the head. Like are we saying that black folk are just inherently not as smart? So that's the reason why we're not at the boardroom table. We're not presidents of major corporations. We, we're not graduating at the same rate. We're marginalized in healthcare, disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system. Or we just We just are animals because that's literally what that is that, that that's what people are proposing right that black people just don't can't cut it and other races can but then you know if, if one race is always successful then you have literally a hierarchy of, of like the brown and, and and then you go to the black race and then it's literally and then the only people that are actually getting it done are immigrants usually it's like well immigrants are getting it done but immigrants are coming from all i'm an immigrant and i can tell you for sure we come from a whole different frame of reference so I think that the, the, some of these arguments just don't hold water. So we have to start looking in the mirror. Toni Morrison said it. Take me out of it. That's literally what she told Charlie Rose in the interview. She's like, white people need to go look in the mirror and figure out what's wrong. Because something is wrong and, and we can't fix it. Us black folk can't fix it. You guys need to fix it. And that's literally, it's not an indictment against all of, of white America, but it's literally just practically how can black people fix a system that they're really not necessarily a part of so there has to be more of a commitment to say just like I would in the classroom okay all of my students 75% of my students I look at this demographic of students that I serve 75% of them are failing what can I do to make my class more accessible and more able for them to be successful rather than me blaming the student say well the student just doesn't want it bad enough the student doesn't want it bad enough and they're just going to fail like that would never do that and I think right. as a country that's a part of the problem there isn't a reckoning of let's be self-reflective and see why this demographic of people are not able to be successful there has to be a problem here I, I completely agree 
that the people who are dominant, whoever they are, are responsible. They have a much higher responsibility to respond to issues where someone's needs are being neglected. Correct. And I also want to give you some credit for, you said that the black people aren't able to fix this problem, and I, and I completely agree that they're not able to fix it alone, and that the majority of the, of the onus should fall on the people who have the majority of the resources. I also, though, want to give you some credit for helping me change the way I think, Elizabeth. You're standing up. You, you've invested your life to help people see more correctly, more accurately how the world is and unite the people of this planet. So I just wanted to thank you for that, for stepping up and for being a, a great influence in this world. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and it's just my mission. I feel it's really important to be able to, you're doing the same thing. You're using your voice, you're using your superpower. So whatever our sphere of influence is, whatever we can do to make the world a better place. And I just feel that that's our responsibility to do it because we're on this planet. We're sucking up resources. We're thinking about sustainability, right? Across the globe, that's like the big thing now. So what can we do to make the world a better place? And we're all connected. We see that with the pandemic, that we're all literally globally, we're all connected. And then decisions that I make can, can influence my community, can influence my county, my state, the world. So how can I influence that in a positive way so that all of us can be successful together and win together? Because that's what ultimately I think we should all want for each other. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to have a coupon code in the description, and this will get you half off to Black History and Culture Academy. There's also a couple of free courses on there. Awesome, awesome material. It'll help you see what the big deal is. What's the big deal about racism? If you're wondering that, go to this site. It's a great, great resource there. And a lot of people talking about this in very, very intelligent ways, in very productive ways, very tactful. I promise you won't be shamed or anything like that as you go to learn openly. Thank you again, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tyler. I'm Tyler Small, and this is Hacking Emotional Intelligence. Next episode will also be with Elizabeth, and we're going to go into very specific strategies for how we can be more emotionally intelligent in an interpersonal context. This has been the big picture view, and we're going to go down more into the micro view of how to communicate more effectively with one another. So we'll see you in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please consider sharing it. If you'd like to learn about the five-star approach or join the conversation, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as at our website, fivestarapproach.com. That's the number five star approach. <laughs>